absolutely, absolutely. Y'all bless the Lord in this place this morning. Come on, church. You might as well stay up here for a minute, Tommy. Matter of fact, um, before we get started at this time in the Word, let me ask that all of our teachers, faculty, and staff of our school system, please make your way forward. I promise we won't embarrass you. <laughs> what was that? Uh. Paraprofessionals count too. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I saw you. (laughs) Last week we talked a little bit about, you know, how blessed we are to have the school system that we have, but not only that, the faculty and the teachers that we have. And here's the truth, guys. I'm thankful for the teachers that we have. I'm thankful that we have teachers that are God-fearing, God-believing, saved individuals who are pouring into our students, who are loving on our students. And this week, rubber meets the road. Are y'all ready? Y'all hear Tommy singing that now? Come in next week about Tuesday and the tune will sound a lot different. I promise you. I promise you. But no, every year we take a time to pray over our teachers, to pray over our faculty, to pray over our staff um, before school starts back. Next week we will do the same for our students. But this week I wanted to do it especially for our teachers. Our teachers and our faculty and our staff have had such a hard row to hold the last couple of years. It's been chaotic, to say the least. But yet they've continued on. I heard a stat the other day that kind of discouraged me. And it's very similar to what's going on with pastors right now. There are less teachers coming out of college now than ever before. The same way with pastors. The same way with hospital administration and hospital workers. These jobs are tireless. And a lot of times they go unthanked. And I don't want our teachers, our faculty, or our staff, or paraprofessionals to ever think that we're not thankful for what they do. So this morning, I'm going to ask that you do something for me. I'm going to ask that everybody would stand up and come forward. And let's pray over these teachers because these teachers are missionaries in our school system. And I promise you this, they covet your prayers. Aaron, I'm going, Pastor AA Ron, I'm going to ask that you lead us in prayer. But I want you to come on and surround these teachers, these faculty and these staff, and let them know, let them know that you're praying for them, not only now, but also in the days to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for these teachers, these staff members, these faculty members who this week, they go back to work in a, in a sense of investing in the lives of young people. And Lord, there is no price that you can pay. There is no other occupation that we could do that is more important than investing in the lives of students and Lord I pray as we as a church stand behind them that it wouldn't just last today but throughout the semester throughout the the school year I pray that we as a church would invest in the lives of not only the students but the teachers and the staff members of the county and that we would commission them that we would love them support them in their tough times and in their good times Lord but more importantly I pray that all of us this morning, 
we would take this to heart as we are called to champion the gospel. And it's about you. It's not about us. And we love you. And we just ask that we take it to heart again, Lord, that we would support our staff members, our teachers, our faculty members, and love on them. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. While you're making your way back, a couple of things um, just want to remind you of. Most of you know our association, our Baptist Association, has been helping to put on a camp for teachers' kids as they go back. And I got to tell y'all some amazing things that happened this week. Every week, every day, we make, if you're going to come to a church camp, you're going to hear the gospel. So this week, there was five times that the gospel was presented to these kids. Here's the amazing thing. Yeah, we did not have any immediate responses. But on Tuesday morning, actually Wednesday morning, I was sitting there and I was letting kids out and just greeting them, thanking them for coming, praying for the teachers as they come through. And this little boy comes up to me. And he said, I heard the message yesterday. I said, you did? He said, yeah. And he said, last night I gave my life to Jesus. We miss these small opportunities every day. God is working miracles in our presence. And so many times we miss them. Every day, guys, is an opportunity for the gospel. And who would have thought, who would have thought that through a pre-planning camp for teachers' kids, that there would be that one young man who was brought there just for that purpose. And the reason I'm saying this is I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your support to the church, to the association, but I also want to open an invitation to you for two times this week for you to help us in pre-planning camp. Tomorrow, it was supposed to be on Tuesday, we've had to switch some things around with the school schedule, um, but tomorrow we are taking 60 kids fishing. <laughs> Hard hat's not the problem. Because when you get, and we're dividing them up, but when you take this many kids fishing at one time, your fingers get sore. Because while we're taking 60 kids fishing, we're going to end up tying on somewhere around 250 to 500 hooks. They lose them. They get tangled up. Yes, the hooks get in places that they shouldn't be. Nobody has got an ear pierced yet. They've come close. But we need help with this. Us and New Union will be heading up the fishing tomorrow. So if you don't have anything to do and you want to go be a part of the most exciting fishing trip that you will ever be a part of, please meet us at First Baptist tomorrow at 9 o'clock. Um, we're going to have a great time. We're going to love on some kids. And um, we're going to love on some teachers at the same time. But also Wednesday morning, we will be doing the same thing. Wednesday is kind of Harmony Grove's day. And over the last couple of years of pre-planning camp, every time Harmony Grove gets a chance to head up a day, we always take the kids to Vogel. We let them swim. We do a scavenger hunt. We just have a great time with them. We love on them. We let them eat Chick-fil-A. And it's just a good time to come and love on some kids. We've got a lot of teens who've already signed up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But, but we could always use more help. So, if you would like to help with either fishing or with Vogel Day, Kari, stand up, please. I have a meeting again right after church. I'm sorry, but I'm going to make a point to be outside to meet some of you. But if you want to help with either one of these events, please see Kari right after service. <laughs> did you get that? No, did you get a standing ovation? Bubba, I've missed you. I have missed you. Uh, and I am glad to have you back. I'm glad for the time that you had off, but I'm also glad to have you back. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been starting a series going through the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews has become what may be one of my favorite books of the Bible. And we understand that this book is written to Hebrews. That's why it's titled that. But at the same time, there is so much 
to this book that applies to us as believing Christians, um, that it's hard not to just get hung up on a lot of things. Three weeks ago, y'all remember, I got hung up on one phrase, and I still can't get this phrase out of my mind. Why is it that believing Christians should have to consider Jesus? And the reason that we have to constantly consider Jesus is even though we have put our faith and our trust in him, there are times that um, we live our life as if he doesn't really exist. Last week, we talked about a hard heart. I got a little bit, um, I got a little bit vulnerable with y'all, and I opened up to y'all about three times that I've had a hard heart in my life. The first time was growing up without a dad. The second time was being 27 years old and not married. And then the third time was being almost 40 years old without children. We all have these situations that cause us to develop some severe, hard hearts. And last week I told you that I'm going to tell you today how I got through my time of hardship, how I overcome it. A lot of people will tell you just to get over it. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. We don't get over things, we get through them. There is a big difference in that. We do not get over things. We don't just forget that they exist. We don't just move on from those things, but we do get through those. And we've been given this power to get through these through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But not only do I want to talk to you about how to overcome a hard heart, before we get into that, I want to talk to you about the consequences. The consequences of having a hard heart. And these consequences are severe. We find these consequences, though, in Hebrews chapter 4. Now, I want to tell you something. Hebrews chapter 4 is one of those chapters that, um, remember, they come and they put numbers in after these letters were written. And, you know, if it was me, I would have moved this one around a little bit. I wouldn't have ended it the way it was ended. But not only that, I would have reworded a lot of things. Not because it's not wrote properly, but if you have dyslexia like I do, chapter four is one of those that will twist your tongue, twist your mind. And sometimes you gotta read multiple different translations to really get what chapter four is saying. So there's gonna be one translation on the screen, but I'm reading from a different translation. And I want you to understand why. Because if you do not pay attention to what's said by the words that are on the screen from the NASB, you can get confused. But the NLT puts it in a way that is extremely simple. And I'm a simple guy. I don't like complex things. I like to be able to understand things. So if you will, turn to, turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Starting in chapter one, it says, God's promises of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. Them's talking about the Hebrews, guys or talking about the children of Israel who were wandering in the wilderness. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it is mentioned that the seventh day, on the seventh day, God rested from all the work. But in other passages, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God said another time, 
for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would have not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. We will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Let's pray. Father, first and foremost, thank you so much for the privilege to be up here this morning. Thank you so much for the people that have gathered here to worship you in spirit and truth. But also, Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for how, um, how it's cut me, Lord. how it's exposed me, but how it's helped me to see, Lord, that even in my walk of following you, there are still times that I miss your rest. Father, this morning it is my prayer that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear and that you would give us a heart to understand what your word has for us this morning. Father, I know that there are many here this morning who have hard hearts. I know that there are many here this morning, Lord, who still struggle with situations and things that have taken place in their life. And this morning, Lord, it is my prayer that your word would not only soften the heart, but it would crush it, Lord. That it would crush it just like you said your word would do in Jeremiah. So this morning, Lord, as we praise you and worship you, not only through our prayer, not only through our praise, but also through the proclamation of your word, may you be glorified in everything we do, Lord. It's all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of people get hung up when we start talking about fear. The Bible says that we have not been given a spirit of fear. The Bible says that we have been given a a spirit of strength and a spirit of unity to get through these things. But there's lots of times in the Bible where it talks about being fearful. And this one's very specific. The fearfulness that we're talking about here is about the ones who are going to miss God's rest. God's rest to the children of Israel as they left Exodus. To them, in sight, it was the promised land. For us today, whenever we hear about God's rest, multiple things come to mind. And a lot of these things, guys, a lot of these things just aren't right. God never promised you to be prosperous. God never promised for you to be successful. God never promised for your life to be easy. He never promised for your life to go just the way you want it to go. But the things that he did promise us, those are the things in which we can find true rest in him. So before we talk about how to overcome a hard heart, the first thing I want you to see is I want you to see what you miss, even as a believer, when you allow your heart to grow hard. 
When we think of rest, we often think of sleep. We think of the nights when we lay our head down. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times when I lay my head down, it's not so easy for me to go to sleep. Because when my head hits the pillow, for some reason, it puts this thing in third gear. And it is going wide open. Not only is it thinking about all the things that I did today, it's thinking about all the things that I got to do next week. It's thinking about all the things that I got coming up. It's thinking about all my worries, all my concerns. But the rest that Jesus is speaking of here through this word is not a rest of going to sleep. It's a rest of true peace. God's rest is not a time of inactivity like when we sleep at night. God's rest is an act of peace for our heart and our soul. And this rest can be summed up in three words. Three words. And the three words come from principles that we see in this scripture. In verse 3 and 4, we see that God's rest brings satisfaction. We all know the scripture about how God created the heavens and the earth, how he created the waters and land, how he created the sky, the stars, and all this. And every time God created something, what did he say about it? It is good. It is good. And all these times where God kept saying it is good, God is showing us that he was satisfied with his work. He was so satisfied with his work that on the seventh day, after creating everything, he was able to rest. We don't think about God resting, do we? We think about God being omnipresent. We think about God being all-powerful. And we think about God being all-knowing. But we don't ever think about God resting. I mean, you think about it right now. As we speak right now, how many people do you think are praying right now? Millions. And you know what's amazing? He hears every single one of them. What amazes me even more is he even knows what we're going to pray before we pray it. He knows our innermost thoughts. He knows everything. But you know what else he knows? He knows the satisfaction he has in creating you. Think about that for a minute. Part of God's rest is the satisfaction of his creation. And part of his creation is you. God is satisfied with how he created you. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to think on that. Some of you need to write that on your mirror. Some of you need to write that on your hand. Some of you need to put it in a note. But God is satisfied with you. And I know some will say, well, Scotty, what about my sin? Okay, sin's completely separate now, okay? We're talking about his creation. We're talking about you as his creation. Yes, our sin has separated us from God. But we've got to remember whose image we're created in. You know, that's why I got a big hang-up. That's why I got a big hang-up when people talk about how they don't lock their nose. When people talk about how they don't lock their cheekbones their jawline. I don't like my hairline. It's getting further back every day. There's lots of things I don't like about me. But when I read his scripture, and when I read that word, that I am created in his image. Now I know it's not talking about a bodily image. I know it's talking about an eternal image. And when I think about how he was satisfied with me as a creation, I kind of get aggravated with myself when I'm not satisfied with myself. 
If we were to take a poll in here right now of who is satisfied with themselves, most of us in here would say, absolutely not. But being unsatisfied, being unsatisfied with us, ourselves, our situations, and our circumstances, while it's good to always be aspiring for more, to be unsatisfied is actually a sin. You didn't realize that, did you? You never thought about it that way, have you? All my soon-to-be first graders, see if y'all remember this. They're all already asleep. Praise God. Look at that. Pastor did a miracle. What's this? One what? Remember the Ten Commandments? One God. Very good. What's this? Nothing ahead of God. We don't realize this. But the first commandment is saying there is only one God. The second commandment is saying, don't be unsatisfied with God. You say, but Scotty, it says false idols. When we have false idols, we have false idols because we are unsatisfied with who God is. Let's go to number five. Number five, honor your father and mother. People who do not honor their father and mother are rebellious people. And you know what rebellious people are? Rebellious people are people who are not satisfied who are not satisfied with the rules or the authority that has been set up in their home. So there's two. Two and five show that being unsatisfied is a sin. But I can even go one more. There is one commandment that none of us really talk about a lot, which is number 10, which tells you straight point blank. Don't want what is not yours. In other words, Quit being unsatisfied with what you have. Because when we're unsatisfied with the situations that we have, the circumstances we've been dealt, or the life that we have, we are actually living in sin. And when we are living in sin, we just plant another seed for our heart to grow even harder. And guys, I get it. I get it, just like I talked to the middle schoolers last week. I get the whole competition and comparison thing. But you know what? I'm tired of it. I'm tired of trying to keep up with everybody. We were talking about it in Sunday school last week. It's pretty funny. This whole competition game has got us buying things that we don't want. To please people that we don't like. To obtain something that we really don't even desire to want. What's wrong with us? The fact is we're unsatisfied. And that's why it's hard for us, even as believers, to experience true rest. Because when we are constantly sinning with being unsatisfied with the life that we have, we can't find no rest. Why? Because we're always in a competition. I'm sick of the competition. I'm sick of churches feeling like they got to compete against each other. We have one enemy. He is real. And his heart is set to steal, kill, and destroy So if we're in competition with anybody when it comes to a church, brothers and sisters, our only competition is Satan. And you know what? He likes seeing us compete with each other. Because when we compete with each other, you know what we're doing? We're doing his work for him. And this is why it's hard for us to experience rest. God's rest comes with satisfaction, but God's rest also comes with salvation. I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this for a second, but then I want you to give me an answer. What is man's greatest problem? Self? You could have waited a minute. 
Our Bible scholar over here had to get it out real quick. We have lots of ideas about what our greatest problem is. Some of us think that our greatest problem is the government. Some of us think that our greatest problem is ourselves. Some of us think that our greatest problem is this competition game. But when it comes down to it, man's greatest problem boils down to one thing and one thing only. Sin. That is our greatest problem. And when Jesus came to give us salvation, the salvation that he came to give us was from our sin. See, the children of Israel thought that the salvation that they were getting was freedom from Egypt. Later on, they thought that the salvation that they were getting was freedom from Babylon. Then later on, they thought the salvation that they were going to get was freedom from Rome. But the truth of the matter is, is none of these were their biggest problems. Just like none of our issues are our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is and always will be sin. Why? Because sin's what separates us from a righteous and holy God. And he created us to be in perfect communion with him. True rest comes not only from satisfaction, but it also comes from our salvation. And you know, the part that bothers me about this is I see so many of my brothers and sisters, even myself so many times, and I feel like we're living in defeat. You ever feel like that? You ever have one of those days where your kids just won't listen to you? You ever have one of those days where your husband won't listen to you? I was going to say your wife, but I figured I better not. <laughs> you ever have one of those days where everybody at work just seems to be getting on your nerves? You ever have one of those days to where nothing you do turns out right? And we feel like we're living in a constant state of defeat. And the reason we feel like we're living in a constant state of defeat is because we think all of these issues are our greatest problem. Brothers and sisters, our greatest problem has already been dealt with. Our greatest problem has already had the punishment dealt to it. Our greatest problem hung on a cross. It was hung on a cross, not because of us or because of what he did, but because of everything that we did. Our greatest problem has been eliminated, defeated, crushed. And we wonder, we wonder why we have no rest. Salvation is triumphant. It's not a defeat. Our rest comes from our satisfaction, our salvation, but it also comes from one more thing. It comes from our security. You know what comes after that bad day? You know, another day. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? No, just fact. What comes after a bad day? Another day. And I know none of us are promised tomorrow. I don't know that I'll even get through this sermon before I might kill dead right here. But I do know this. And when he was saying what he's saying about Joshua, you know, Joshua could have got him to the promised land and said, you here? You good? See y'all. But no, he kept on. Why did he keep on? Because there's something better to come. And brothers and sisters, our rest doesn't come in a day here on earth. 
Our true rest comes from knowing that one day we will have a true Sabbath. A Sabbath where we rest from all of our labor. A Sabbath where we can relax our mind, relax our thoughts. But brothers and sisters, that Sabbath is not here on this earth. That true Sabbath is when we go to be with Him. And you know, we may have hard days here on earth, but I can promise you this. When we were with, when we're with Him, we will never think about one of those hard days again. Scotty, how do you know that for a fact? It says there's no pain. It says there's no tears. We won't think about that stuff no more. And here's the thing. Yeah, that day is still to come, but we can't experience that rest now. The children of Israel missed this rest. And they had the opportunity to have this rest. But here was the problem with the children of Israel. The children of Israel, when they left Exodus, they were thinking about two things. They were thinking about one, their situation. They were thinking about their situations. They were thinking about the no water, no food. Here comes Egypt up behind them. All the enemies that they were going to have to face. Each other. They were thinking about all these situations. They were thinking about their destination. They were thinking about the promised land. They were thinking about all the desert that they were going to have to go through to get to the promised land. They were thinking about once they got to the promised land, the enemies that they were going to have to overcome then. And you know what they missed through this whole time? Do you know what they missed through this whole time? God was with them every step of the way. He was there with them. A pillar of fire at night. A pillar of cloud during the day. He was always with them. And he is their rest. This is why our hearts get hard. We think about our situations. We think about our destinations. And we miss our rest because we miss God. We're no different than the children of Israel. We got the same issues. Yeah, maybe time period's different, but we got the same issues. We're worried about this R word that everybody keeps talking about. Funny, I've never seen a recession where people travel so much, buy so much gas, and buy so many groceries, though. We keep worrying about what's going to come about with elections and all these other things. But do you realize in the scope of who God is, none of these things really matter? None of these things matter. We're losing sleep for no reason whatsoever. We're getting upset for no reason whatsoever. And you know what, brothers and sisters? This is why our heart grows so hard. The children of Israel were told multiple times, I am your God. I am with you. The writer of Hebrews said at first that it was preached to them first. They heard it. They missed it. God showed him his, their, his salvation in multiple ways. When you get up against a body of water and there's nowhere to go and God splits the sea and allows you to go over and then annihilates your enemy behind you, that's ultimate salvation that we can see here on earth. But you know what? They missed it. They missed it. They were worried about their own security. They were worried about their own food. They were worried about all these other things. And they even said to one point, it would be better for us to go back and to stand under the persecution of the Egyptians than to take one more step forward into this wilderness. Yet he provided water 
He provided bread. He provided quail. He provided everything. And they always come back to the same thing. They missed it. We miss it. We miss it. We miss his rest because he is here with us. And all he wants us to do is look to him. Our hearts grow hard because we fail. So is it, how is it? How is it that we recover? How is it that we overcome? How is it that we get through these hard hearts? The thing I love about this scripture is in verses 11, 12, and 13, the answer is right there. The thing that I don't like about this scripture and in verses 11, 12, and 13, the answer is right there. And you're going to get what I'm coming at. In my times of my hard heart, I was always focused on my situations and my destinations. When I was struggling with seeing other families not broken like mine was, I was pushing for a destination of a perfect family. When I was 27 without a wife, I was pushing for a destination of having a wife. When I was 30 without, 39 without kids, about to be 40, I was pushing for a destination of having kids. And you know what I missed during all that time? I miss God. You want to know how I got over my hardness? Verse 11 says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. During that time, I remembered what God had told me. What had God told me? That he was a father to the fatherless. That he betrothed me. And that one day, he would make my wife the mother of many children. I took him at his word. And I was diligent to continue on with the path that he had for my life. And it's not easy. It is not easy to seek God in a time when your heart is hard. And I don't want you to sit here and say, well, Scotty, you're so, well, you did it. Look at you. No, that's not what I'm getting at. There was years of struggle. There was years of pushing through. There was years of coming to ministry even when I didn't want to. There were years of pushing forward even when I wanted to quit. There were years of just saying, what's the point? Even when I knew he had a place for me. The first thing that we have to do is we have to be diligent for God and his work. Because here's the thing, guys, God created us for his glory and for his purpose, not for our glory, our purpose, and our desires. And that's where we get hung up in the situations. Because a lot of times our desires, we're more diligent about our desires than we are about his desires. We want to do more for ourselves than we want to do for him. And guys, I'm not ever saying that we're trying to pay God back for what he has done for us. But at the same time, there are some things he calls us to. When I was hard of heart, I was more concerned about having a father than showing people the father. When I was hard of heart, I was more concerned about having a spouse than telling anyone about the bridegroom. When I was hard of heart about children, 
I was more concerned about the desires of having my own children than I was of leading somebody to be a child of God. And I know some of you say, Scotty, you preach this all the time. This is your purpose. And the reason you are so hard in your heart right now is because what you were created to do is the last thing you're thinking about. There's no easy way to cut this. And that's why I said, I love this scripture because the answer is right there. But I hate this scripture because the answer is right there. But this isn't the only scripture that tells us this. In Matthew 6, 33, it says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is telling his disciples about the lilies of the field, about how the lilies of the field are not worried about how they're dressed. But God adorns them more than the high priest. He talks about the birds of the air. How the birds of the air don't worry about where their food comes from. But yet he makes sure that their needs are met every day. You know why? Because a lily is being a lily because that's what God designed it to do. A bird is being a bird because that's what God designed it to do. And when we become believers and children of God, just like God designed us to do, he takes care of our desires and needs as well. Our issue is we're more concerned about our kingdom than we are about his. The next one cuts even harder. And it does cut. Because in verse 12 it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. And it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit. Man, for a long time I didn't even know there was a difference. Did you? Soul and spirit, I always thought they were the same. But the later on in life I, got, I learned and I realized that there is a difference. Because this knife is so sharp that it cuts a proud soul from a humble spirit. It separates a sinful soul from a righteous spirit. It separates a rebellious soul from an obedient spirit. And it separates an unbelieving soul from an unbelieving spirit. The one thing that I attribute the most that got me over my hardness of heart is I never got away from reading his word. And I know some of you have come to me and talked to me about these things and, and I've heard all these things too. Scotty, I just can't get into reading the word of God. Less your problem. You don't need to get into it. It needs to get into you. And it needs to cut away all of those desires that are not his desires. All those desires that are not what he really has created you for. The word of God does a spiritual heart surgery on you. And you know what? Heart surgery hurts. Heart surgery hurts because it has to open you up. It has to pry you open. And it has to take out all those things that is not supposed to be there. It has to take out those aneurysms that are about to bust. It has to take out those valves that aren't working right. It has to take out all of those defects. But after a heart surgery, after the word of God heart surgery, your heart beats like it was intended to beat. And then the last one's just as hard. The last one is we have to check ourselves. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Every day we need a good spiritual checkup. 
We need to ask. Just like the psalmist asks, Lord, search me. See if there is any wicked way in me. But we also have to realize that our motives for what we do, our motives can be skewed. And one of the wisest men to ever live, he tried out every motive. In Ecclesiastes, we see Solomon do something that, you know, I've struggled with. Why is this in the Bible? Why does it talk about how he did not allow himself to resist any desire that his flesh had? A man who had concubine after concubine after concubine, wife after wife after wife, mother-in-law after mother-in-law after mother-in-law. He didn't think that one through. But why is it why is it that he allowed all the, or did all these things? And he realized that everything is vanity. It's vanity of vanity. And everything on this earth, again, going back to the first point, we make it about ourselves. But I want you to listen how Solomon wraps up Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. He said, for God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Last week I made a statement about hard hearts. About how we think we can hide our hard heart. But it's funny, in us hiding what we think is hiding, it's very obvious to everybody else. But do you want to know who it's even more obvious to? It's obvious to the one who created you. He knows what's really going on inside you. He knows why you're bitter. He knows why you're angry. He knows the situation that may have happened with your wife or your husband or your children. He knows the situation that took place in your family. He knows how you were wronged. He knows all these things. And you know what? We'll do everything in our power to justify why we feel the way we feel. But like I said last week, brothers and sisters, when we look at what Christ went through and didn't harden his heart, there's no justification for us hardening our heart. So how do we get over a hard heart? We be diligent about the work that God has called us to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Secondly, we allow his word to change us. Jeremiah 23 verse 29 says, Does not my word burn like a fire, says the Lord? And, and is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes hard places? And then we check ourselves. For God will judge us. Everything we do including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So that's how I got over my hard heart. Focused on what he told me to do. Focused on his word and checked my motives. But I want you to understand something. This whole message isn't about what I did. It's about what you're going to do. Because today, I'm giving you the ultimate opportunity to be the best sermon illustration for this passage. 
Today, I'm giving you the opportunity to let go of all those things and to allow God to soften your heart. Today, this isn't about what I did. It's about what we're not doing. We're not allowing God to be our true rest. We're not satisfied with him. We're not relying on his salvation. And we're not relying on the security that he's given us. This morning, it's not about what I've done. It's about what we're still not doing. Because guess what? I still get hard-hearted. I still get angry. I still get frustrated. I still allow myself to get to a point to where it's hard for me to hear what God's trying to say. And I'm not saying we lose our salvation, but I can tell you this. It is possible for us not to experience the true peace that God has for us if we allow our hearts to stay hard. Pray with me. Father, this morning, (laughs) I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the simplicity of your word. But Father, I always need help applying it. Instructions like this is easier preached than done, Lord. And Father, we've got to remember that not following your word is disobedience. And that is the same sin that the children of Israel were guilty of. Constantly going against you. Constantly unsatisfied with you. Constantly looking for salvation from something else than their greatest need. And constantly trying to find their security and other things. Father, help us. We are so desperately in need for you and our lives to give us that peace. And Father, we need you to do what only you can do in our lives. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the opportunities that you put before me to soften my heart. But Father, I am fearful. I'm fearful of the things that are to come. I'm fearful because I know there is still, Lord, a lot of flesh that hangs on to me. I'm fearful because I know that any day I can still mess up. And I'm fearful, Lord, because I know that I am still a human. And that's why, Lord, I beg you to do what only you can do. Father, speak to us through your word and through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.
really doing what you're doing.